They always keep me humble. Always keep me humble. Uh, so we are in this series talking about the way. And this is incredibly important because Jesus says there is a way to follow him. Uh, one of the way, things we're trying to not deal with, that's not the right phrase, but we're trying to um, ascertain is the difference between following Jesus and then doing spiritual things or religious things, going to church, reading our Bibles on some predetermined time that we're supposed to read them, praying because we're supposed to pray, versus having this life-transforming um, opportunity not just to follow Christ, um, but to have him work within our lives and to see all of the things he says is going to happen for those who follow him. Uh, and so the first week we talked about that there is a way of Jesus. Jesus not only said um, that there is a way and that he is the way, but then you can walk in his way, which is a not, not just an invitation, but it is an opportunity um, for us to experience something just absolutely beautiful in the way that we live our lives. Uh, Jimmy talked a little about worship uh, a couple of weeks ago, and one of the things that Jimmy said in our talk on worship um, was that we are always at our best when our worship is given to God rather than to other things. And that is absolutely true. We are worshiping people. We worship people. We worship things. We worship um, opportunities. We worship being the best at something. We, you know, there's all kinds of things that we can worship. Uh, but we are at our best when we, our worship is focused on God. And when our worship is focused on God and we are following in the way of Jesus, then it truly does affect everything we do in life. It affects all of our relationships. It affects our ability to do a stress. Um, it affects our hope and what we long for. Whenever there's conflict, it changes the way we deal with conflict. Whenever somebody's mad at us, we have an avenue by which we can go talk to them. Whenever someone makes us mad, we have a way of dealing with it and letting it go so that we ourselves don't hold on to that and just be in this perpetual state of anger. There are all kinds of very practical things that go along with following the way of Jesus. Um, but there's also very much this mysterious spiritual dynamic of the creator of all things working and being active within our own lives and one of the reasons that people typically walk away from faith or walk away from church or like, that's silly, I don't have anything to do with that, is simply because they have found the practical aspects of being religious, but not the spiritual aspects of actually knowing Jesus and him working within their lives. Once you experience that, things change. And I've shared my testimony several times um, over the years, and that is truly my testimony. There was a time I grew up in church and I went and got baptized and joined the church, and I knew all the answers because I had been to Sunday school and I had been to, I'd sat in church since I was a year old. I knew what I was supposed to say, so in my interview, I gave all the correct answers. They gave me the green light to get saved, and or I, they didn't give me the green light to get saved. They didn't work that way, but to get baptized and to join the church, which in my mind, I, that's what this, that was the same thing, and, and I did that. But it was, it was sometime later that I truly realized Hey, this thing is real. Like there's, there is more to this. And in the moment in which, just as Francis talked about, just giving uh, my life and letting him uh, be Lord of my life, then things begin to change. And once you experience the presence of God within your life, it is very difficult to live any other way. Uh, that's part of the way of Jesus. Last week we talked about one of the secrets of life, and one of the secrets of life something that no one really likes to 
have to deal with, and that is uh, the, the way of self-denial. So I had some great conversations this week about self-denial, and um, I, I got a few comments that, yeah, maybe um, it seemed a little too uh, practical, um, the whole self-denial thing, since this is something that Christ has to do within us. And I would say, absolutely, this is something that Christ has to do within us. But one of the problems we have a tendency to do in the church today is we, ha- we have a tendency to over-spiritualize the practical, and then we over-practicalize, like, I mean, that's not a word, but we over-practicalize the spiritual. You know, for example, when we talk about prayer, we can over-spiritualize the practical, and, and one, of, one of the rebukes that we read in Scripture is if you come across somebody in need and you have the ability to help them in need, and you say something like, hey, I'll pray for you, without actually helping them, that, well, that's worthless. And your religion is worthless if it doesn't move you to be practical in that. We, we had our, our combined service of prayer um, this week at Red Bank Cumberland Presbyterian. One of the things I shared, I've shared with you, and that is that prayer is not just meant to move God. Prayer is meant to move us. And so uh, when we would pray the Lord's Prayer together and we would pray things like, give us this day our daily bread. If one of us doesn't have enough bread, but another one of us does, well, and just in that moment of prayer, needs met. Here, I've got enough bread for you too. But he also said, um, when, and he taught the disciples to pray, ask for forgiveness from your sins, but then forgive others who sin against you. There's a very practical part of the way this is supposed to work. But we, we can have a tendency not just to over-spiritualize the practical, we can over-practicalize the spiritual. Um, For example, when we do go to pray, if we only pray because I'm supposed to, and I've got an alarm set on my phone, but I don't want to pray, and I'm going to do it because I'm supposed to do it, and how long do I have to do it? We set a timer for two minutes, and I'm waiting for that timer to click down. That may be a tool for you to grow in your prayer, but understand that is over-practicalizing the spiritual because there is a part in coming to prayer in which you commune with God in those moments. And so that's one of the challenges we have. And and when we look back at anything in Scripture, we find a very practical aspect to the things God calls us to. When we look back, you know, for example, um, whenever um, there, just one of the times in which Israel is is, uh, defeated and they're kind of bust out of their nation and they're put into another nation, uh, you know, we have this incredible story where uh, a group of young men are all encouraged to eat the way that they eat, which is with great excess. Lots of, you know, meats and wines and cheeses and just, you know, just eat all these things. And yet there was one who said, no, I'm going to follow what God has instructed me to eat. Uh, and yet he ended up being healthier and stronger and his mind was less foggy. And so he excelled over everyone else. There's a practical aspect in many of the things in which he calls us to um, that actually leads to uh, this abundant life that we're pursuing. And so when we look at, at the idea of self-denial, there, absolutely, self-denial is something that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, but you cannot deny self without an act of your will. You cannot do it. You can be helped, but you cannot do it. You can't just wait and say, well, I, I didn't deny because Christ didn't do it in me. That's not the way it works. And so what I want to talk with you about today kind of follows on um, the heels of self-denial. And it's another topic that is just not, we don't talk about it a lot. 
it's not really a whole lot of fun to talk about. And when we do talk about it, we often talk about it really poorly. Um, but it is the way of repentance. And we think of repentance, what we tend to think of is, you screwed up, you better say you're sorry, or God's going to get you, right? Did anybody grow up in that kind of a system? Repentance was making sure you didn't get in trouble, and you still got to go to heaven. And repentance just means something's bad within your life, and yet that, that is really not the way Scripture talks about repentance. There's a very spiritual part of repentance. There's a very practical part of, of repentance. And so I want to read you through a, a, a chapter in 1 Chronicles. And so if you want to jump down there, you can. Or 2 Chronicles. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles 34. But before we do that, I want to just remind us kind of what this story is about from the very beginning. If we jump back to our our uh, series in Genesis, we found that God had a purpose and a plan for the family of Abraham that would then be built into the nation of Israel. And that was that He intended to redeem all of humanity. And He was going to do it through a nation. And so we read through uh, the plight of the Hebrews in Egypt and the story through, of Exodus where God says, you are going to be My people and I'm going to use you in the world to show all of the other nations that you should be following me. They all have their own gods, and they are harsh, and they are hard, and they lead to all kinds of terrible things. These terrible wars, they lead to all kinds of greed and selfishness. They lead to all kinds of the destruction of people and families and uh, just other nations. And so you're going to be my people and as just as I am the God of gods, I am the King of kings, I am the Lord of lords, you are going to be my nation, and through you I am going to redeem the world. And as we go through the Old Testament, we just it's story after story after story of this nation of Israel following in the way of God and being blessed and redeeming the world around them, or falling away from God and then falling into some level of dis destruction. And we're going to be using the nation of Israel just as a story for our own lives because as Jesus comes into the picture, that story moves from God working through the nation of Israel through the people who have chosen that they want to know and follow Jesus. And so the kingdom of God is not the nation of Israel. The kingdom of God are those people who desire to know Christ and to follow Him and to be agents of redemption in the world just as Jesus was. Repentance, if we look at the, the, the definition, is literally to make a change in your mind. But it's also, biblically, to make a change in your life and ultimately your heart. There's a change that comes about when there is repentance. And the reality is there's not a person in here that doesn't recognize that there's a need at times for repentance. Like, we screw up, right? We make mistakes. There are times we need to ask forgiveness. One of the reasons that friendships break up and never get restored is for a lack of offering and giving forgiveness when our friends hurt us. Because that is going to happen. One of the things that gets between us and God is when we begin to actively uh, walk away from the teachings of Scripture and walk away from God, and then it, it creates not only distance, but it harms our ability to come to Him which harms our ability to experience restoration, which harms our ability to live life with hope and joy, this abundant life or this eternal life 
that they would talk about. Repentance is necessary. Each of us, if we look back over our lives, have made mistakes, and some of them are funnier than others, and some of them have caused more damage than others. When I was a kid, I I made lots of mistakes, and some of those mistakes um, my family likes to still talk about today. Do you all have family members like that? They point out the things you did when you were a kid? One of the favorite stories when I was a kid was uh, when I was going to spend the night at a friend's house. I don't know how old I was. I was, I don't know, nine, ten years old. And um, the big thing then, uh, you know, back then, before there was electricity and, you know, stuff like that, were big wheels. Do you all remember big wheels? Anybody have a big wheel? You know, the, the younger kids got the green machine. Like when the green machine came out, it was like technology. You know, you know, you remember? But we didn't have that. We had the big wheel. We had the big plastic wheels in the back. And, I mean, you could do a burnout um, without any effort whatsoever. And you had the little handbrake if you really wanted to go at it. But I was spending the night with a friend. My parents were out of town, and they wanted a big wheel, and uh, mine was locked in the garage. I couldn't get to it. Well, when you're you know, 9, 10 years old, and everybody's got their big wheel, and you want to get your big wheel out, and you can't get it, you're just pretty miserable. I mean, that's just a hard day to be in. My parents were out of town. I was like, i got to get my big wheel. There's got to be a way to get into this garage. And, and so our garage had these windows across the top, and picked up a rock, and I thought, I can break the window. I didn't really think, well, the, the window itself is about six feet in the air. I'm not sure how I'm going to get from where I am, about, you know, three foot seven, to get up six feet in the air to get through to get my big wheel. But I did it. So it broke the window. All my friends are just kind of looking at me. You know, we've all gathered here. We've got this big excursion we're about to go on. Mark's holding everybody up, and I've just broken the window. So eventually Mom and Dad came to pick me up, and they pulled up to the garage where the evidence was seen what happened now if i was smart i probably could have ridden out the possibility that somebody had tried to break in the house but i was nine years old i didn't know what to i didn't know how i wasn't smart so i said i saw it i saw it i saw what happened our neighbor had a dog that i liked to used to play with Uh, it was a collie and her name was ginger and i said ginger came over and picked up a rock and threw it through the window i saw it it happened. This is what happened. <laughs> Folks, that was 40 years ago. That was 40 years ago. That story was recounted not by me this past Christmas. There are just some things that follow you throughout the rest of your life, right? There are things and times we screw up. Things like that where Dad was not happy, and I had a lot of stories of that when I would get in. I got in trouble a lot as a kid. No, yeah, my kids have not gotten as much trouble as I did. Don't tell them that, even though some of them are sitting right here. But but then there's the things that are really pretty serious, right? They mess up our families and our feels like our futures. They break friendships and all of a sudden we have a hard time even looking at ourselves in the mirror. Those things happen, and it's not like we have to really imagine what those things are. I mean, they just, you may have things that have already popped into your mind about your life. They happen. Some of those things follow us for years, and sometimes it's not even something we did. Someone else has sinned against us, and yet they have pushed us into a pattern of behavior that now we sin against others just because at some point somebody sinned against us. 
So humanity is a beautiful thing. It has the capability of, of bringing great hope and joy. It has the ability to step in when someone's hurting and to lift them up. It has the ability to carry a burden when someone can't carry it on their own. It has the ability to look and see and say, you did a good thing whenever they're not sure they do anything good. Humanity has the ability to find food when somebody is hungry or to develop technology to bring somebody to health when their body begins to fail them. We have the ability to create beautiful things. We also have the ability to destroy and to hurt push people away from each other. We have the ability to be selfish and we have the ability to be incredibly giving. Yet in this humanity, God has said, you have been made in my image and you have the opportunity to follow me and to experience a life that could have been without all of these other things. And as we read through Genesis, one of the things I often, I often am reminded of is that our default state is not one of just misery. Our default state is truly not sin. Our default state is the image of God, and yet it is corrupted just in so many different ways. And in this, God has chosen to enter into our story and to say, I want you to be a part of me, and I want to be a part of you, and I can help you overcome the things that are causing so much pain in the world, and you can have eternal, abundant life. Repentance in Scripture is not meant to be something that we lord over somebody and say, look how horrible you are. Repentance is the opportunity for restoration. We read in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. All began with the story and that we read in Exodus. And as God delivers this group of people from an, an entirely oppressive regime that had enslaved them, and their job is simply to build and build monuments to a group of people that utterly wish they didn't exist. God heard their cry and he rescued them and he said, I'm going to show you how to live life. And that's where we get Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And we get this code that we find also in Exodus of how do you live life and do life with each other, which is why I, I, can, I, I, I say go back and read that stuff. I don't want to read Leviticus. I mean, you've got to go back and read some of the things Moses was teaching them that he had received from God about how to do life, just how to do life and how to be fair and what happens when you mess up and what happens when you kill somebody's goat. <laughs> this is how you handle it. Because life is meant to be lived together and we're supposed to do good things together. If things mess up. There's a way to restore that. And he says in Deuteronomy 4.1, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God of your fathers is given you. And in this nation we have these different rulers that come up and and then this really significant ruler enters the picture. His name was David. He's of the most famous of all the kings that ushered in an incredible time of peace and prosperity who overturned their greatest enemy, the Philistines, and um, he did beautiful things. But he also did some pretty terrible things. Killed his 
one of his best friends, slept with his best friend's wife. His sin caused the death of his own son. And even though he did great things, and he really screwed up. Following David, David would go through a period, and we would we read about this in Psalm 51. He would go through a period of repentance, and, and it's one of the most famous prayers of repentance we'll do. In fact, when we close our service today, we're going to read it together. Psalm 51, 10 through 12 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. In that moment and in that turn within his life, he changed his mind, he changed his life, and he changed his heart. God did that through his repentance. Now good kings and bad kings are going to come and go, and, and then we have this really terrible king, Manasseh, who would eventually enter the picture, and he... He would not honor God and all of the things that Moses had taught them that they should do to follow him but through sacrifices and festivals and feasts and um, through atonement. They did none of those things. And he was just a terrible king. The nation of Israel continued to move in into decline. And he would have a son and he would name his son Amon after the Egyptian god Amon-Ra because he just outright refused to worship Yahweh and instead... He took on the gods of those around him. His son grew, Manasseh would die, and eventually his son, King Amon, would take over. And he was said to be a terrible, terrible king. And the nation of Israel continued to just fall apart. There was no worship. There was no sacrifice. There was no atonement. There were no festivals. It is said that the temple fell into such disrepair that the altar in which the sacrifices would be held was covered in spider webs. It makes me think of... Um, um, Indiana Jones, when he would walk in for to find any, whatever he was going to find, whether it be the crystal skull or whether it be the holy grail or whatever, and they would have these thick, sticky uh, cobwebs that you would have to just kind of bore yourself through. It gives images of that. It was so unused, so in disrepair. The heart of the nation of Israel that at this time, this is how God intends to redeem the world through this nation. is falling apart. King Amon would only rule for two years before his own servants in his own house would kill him for being such a wicked king. His son would follow him. His name was Josiah. At eight years old, he became the king of Israel. And he determined, I am not going to follow the path of my father's. Have you ever been through a moment in your life and you look back at the examples you've had in your life and you say, I will not go that path. I'm not doing it. Let's be honest, parents. (laughs) When we had our first child, we said, we're not going to do any of the things my parents did. Right? That's right. Because we did all our own bad things as parents, didn't we? (laughs) Oh, but we do have those times, and while that's kind of funny, there are times that it's not funny. The examples that we have from those that went before us that just put us on a terrible path. This is the path of Josiah. He's eight years old. He's king of Israel. Everything he's ever known rejects God, and yet he knew the stories of this King David. He says, I'm going to do it a different way. 
we don't have time for the whole story today. Second Chronicles 34, beginning with um, verse 1. No matter how dark your sin is, there is a path to restoration. I want you to know that. Whether your sin is just with God or whether your sin is with God and others around you. There is no sin so dark that restoration isn't possible. There's no mistake so terrible that there's not an opportunity to rebuild. There is no history so overwhelming that it can't be changed. And repentance is the path for that change. There are four things that Josiah did here. I don't often do the four things, but today there's four things. And I think these four things are big, but we have four things he does here to lead the nation of Israel from where they were to where they'll go. He will, by the way, end up ruling for 31 years. Second Chronicles 34, verse, uh, verse 1, um, Josiah decided to devote his life to pursue God. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram and the carved and the metal images. It wasn't unusual for a nation to take on the gods of the other nations, especially if the other nations are doing better than you. And many times, nations would take on the gods of Egypt because Egypt was typically doing better than everyone else. And while we would, you know, could say, well, it was leadership or whatever, um, had very much to do with the fact they had a river. You know, and you're living in an agricultural uh, community in an agricultural time. If you got a river, you got life. You've got crops. You've got the ability to irrigate. You have the ability to grow no matter what. Whenever there's a famine, you got stuff to grow and you've got crops that can be watered and they can be fed and that is the story of how egypt became as powerful as they did through this incredible uh man named joseph who came on the picture and worshiped god and pharaoh had a dream and he said listen this is your dream there's a famine coming but you need to be prepared they were so prepared that people gave everything to egypt just to be able to live they they would give their lands and eventually they would give themselves as slaves to the land of Egypt just so they could eat. And it's hard for us to kind of picture what might that be like because very few of us will actually leave this place and think, I don't know what I'm going to eat. I don't know what we're going to eat today. But when you're in that place and you're just like, we, we're hungry, my stomach, it is growling. I don't know where we're going to get the food. You'll do anything to be able just to live. And Egypt was able to capitalize on that and became the power they were just because they had food. Ra was one of the primary gods of Egypt and it was one that Manasseh and then his son Amon would worship. And they would build build these high places and these towers and these things in which you would go and worship. And they would put them all over the nation so that whenever you would come into that place, and you wanted to know, what is this place about? You knew it was about Ra or the Baals. And so when Josiah came on the scene, he knew this 
this way is destroying us. The way of Ra, which is a false god, is destroying us. The way of the Baals, which are false gods, is destroying us. So he decided that he was going to pursue God, the God of his fathers, the God of David. That is always the first step for us if we're going to be serious about following the way of Jesus. There has to be a pursuit of God. We, we cannot accidentally step into it. We are either pursuing or we are not. Wherever you are in life, you have pursued something to get you to where you are in life. And some of those things you're proud of and some of those things you're not proud of but pursuit leads to where we are. What have we been pursuing? The pursuit of his fathers didn't work, and so he decided he was going to pursue God. Second thing Josiah did in this story is Josiah destroyed every other idol and repented on behalf of Israel. We read that in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 4. They chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence and cut down the incense altars that stood above them, and he broke in pieces the ashram and the carved and the metal images and he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, and as far as Naphtali and their ruins all around, he broke down the altars and beat the ashram and the images into powder. He cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. It was an act of his will to say, I will not worship these other things. Topic of worship, I think Jimmy handled really well. You cannot grow in life until you have some level of self-reflection to know what's actually going on within yourself. To really know what do I worship? What do I most long for? Is it peace or comfort? Is it affluence? Is it to be the best? What is it that we are pursuing? Is it validation? I need to be validated. I, I need someone to say I'm better than someone else. Is it to look like we have it together and so when we come into a place like this, we come in, everything's good, everything's good, and yet we're dying inside. But we don't want anyone to know that. We want everybody to think we got it all together. So we put a mask on. All kinds of things that we worship. We, we won't grow until... Two things happen. One, we recognize what we worship. And two, we destroy everything that gets between us and our worship of God. We really truly are our best when we're worshiping Him. Humility is birthed out of that. Care for others is birthed out of that. The desire to help when someone needs help is birthed out of that. This is the call of Jesus. This is the way. The times to be the Good Samaritan. He destroyed every other idol. He repented on behalf of Israel. This is the step that we take in repentance to say, I will change. I will turn from what I have made most important in my life and I will make something else more important. What often happens, and you can do this not only in your relationship with God, but you can do this in relationship with other people. For example, if you have, a, you have harmed a relationship that you have with someone else, you can pursue that person. Whatever you've done to hurt them, you can tear that down. Stop hurting them. And the third thing Josiah would do, we can do whether it's our relationship with God and our own faith or our relationship with others. 
Josiah began rebuilding what had been harmed. Because repentance is not simply saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is rebuilding. You've got to rebuild. It takes work. You know, a few weeks ago, I, I, I really expected more pushback. And I guess because you all agree with me. Maybe, maybe that's wrong to assume. Maybe you just don't want to say something to me. I shouldn't assume you agree with me because you didn't push back. But a lot of times, love looks a lot like work. And yet there's something in our culture and something in us that seems to think that love should just happen. And when we love others, it shouldn't require anything of us. But love looks often a lot like work. And when we've harmed others, love looks a lot like rebuilding that which we've harmed, which is work. Josiah began rebuilding what had been harmed. In verse 8, it says, Now in the 18th year of his reign, 10 years after he took the office, when he had cleansed the land and the house, sent Shapham the son of Azalah, and Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Johaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. They came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the keepers of the threshold, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim, and from all the remnant of Israel, and from all Judah and Benjamin, from the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They gave it to the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord, and the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord gave it for repairing and restoring the house. Now, this isn't a part of our um, repentance today. Like, so if you want to repent, you need to come put some paint on the wall at Journey. <laughs> you know, that's not really the way it works today. But for them, the presence of God was in the temple. The demonstration that He is our God was was demonstrated by worship at the temple. And he, His place in the Holy of Holies was literally the presence of God for the nation of Israel until up until Jesus breathed His last the curtain is torn. God's presence leaves the Holy of Holies. And then, as the Holy Spirit settles on each of us as we choose to follow Him, God's presence is now within us as followers. But then it was in the temple. And so to repent and to rebuild meant to refocus and put our attention back on Him, which meant to rebuild the temple. And so that's what they did. Because repentance often requires rebuilding just does. Fourth thing Josiah did was he remained faithful to know and follow the Scriptures from that point forward. Verse 29, we're jumping way down to the end of the chapter. It says, And the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Jerusalem and the priests of the Levites, all the people, both great and small, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from their following the Lord, the God of their fathers. This would usher in to a new time of prosperity for the nation of Israel. 
Now, it would be easy to take this story and, and find all kinds of holes for us today. And well, so if I repent, does that mean I'm going to get a better house? Repentance is restoration. And there, there's literally no sin that cannot be repented of. There's no mistake that can't, you can't come back from. We don't always let people believe that. Like there are some mistakes that we say, you know what, if you make that mistake, you're not coming back from that. You do that like nobody does that. But repentance is, the, is one of the core abilities to even know God. If you, if you do not have a repentant heart, you cannot know God. In fact, when Jesus began His ministry, the very first message He gave publicly was this. What was it? Do you remember? Repent! The kingdom is a hand. That was the very first message he had. John the Baptist, who was supposed to pave the way for Jesus to enter into the scene. John, John the Baptist's message was consistently the same. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The message of repentance is the message of restoration. It is the message that you have the opportunity to experience great things and to overcome terrible things. When our faith seems shallow and empty, we have the opportunity <coughs> to repent of whatever those things are that are separating us from God. When you look at the relationships you have with people, if you're always at odds with people, and you don't know why, but people tend to be someone you just use for your own benefit, then there's a place for you to repent from that and to restore those relationships. This works in our marriages. This works in our parenting. This works when we're in school. This works when we're at work. This works in our faith because, again, there is so much overlap between the spiritual and the practical because God is not simply saying, be spiritual people. Walk around to spiritual people. What He's saying is, we're, we're, we're trying to recover something that's been lost here. I made you to be this good side of humanity and that's going to require some work on your part but i'm going to lead you and empower you and inform you on how to do that it's going to take work it's going to take going down to a an area that's been devastated by a storm and cleaning and rebuilding it's going to take someone who has no friends whatsoever to say i'm your friend i will be there with you even if my friends don't like it it takes work to say, there are a thousand hungry people around us, and so we're going to go buy some food for them. And we're going to give to them. There's a spiritual and there's a practical, but restoration is possible when repentance is just a way of life for us. And this does work not just for Josiah, but it does work for us. Those four things again. Pursue God relentlessly. Destroy every idol in your life. Rebuild what has been harmed. Remain faithful to know and follow the Scriptures. We're on a path, church. I didn't... I didn't know exactly what path we were going to be on coming into 2023, but you've made it clear we're on a path together to do something. 
And the times that pass are going to require for us to repent. Turn away from the idols that have been the focus of our lives. Where God gets a little bit what's left. But that path is not simply that we fill up a room or the budget goes up. I mean, that's not the path that He's leading us to. I mean, it's not like we're going to reject that. But the path is redeeming the world. The path is feeding the hungry. It is ministering to the sick. The path is seeing God work in our lives, and when one of us falls, we're there to be with them to pick them up. The path is for those that think that the church is all about making sure you go to heaven instead of hell, realize there's something more to eternal life than simply what happens when you die. There's something that happens right now while you live. Josiah would not have even known where to go or what to do had he not had an example before him. He knew the story of David. He returned to the story of David. We need to be that story for the people around us, for the people that are in our families, for the people that reject us, for the people that say, you know what, you all are just those crazy church people. You bet we are. Crazy enough to think that there's a humanity that can be changed for the better. That we can experience abundant life together. That we have something that matters for each other and that we actually need each other. That you matter to us and we matter to you. This is an interesting time that we're in. And so here's here's how I'm going to leave us today. I hope what you leave hearing is that, that, again, repentance is about restoration. It is about taking those dark things, those painful things, those things in which we have rejected whatever, and we have an opportunity to be restored back to this good place which God created us to be. It's humanity that mimics His image, that takes on the priorities of Jesus. When Jesus said, I am here for the captive and for the press, for those who are sick and for those who can't see. Here for those people. Part of our role in this world. Repentance is not simply us admitting we're just terrible people. Instead, it is being restored to something beautiful. As we leave, I, I would encourage you to take a moment of self-reflection as we sing this last song and, and um, just to ask yourself, um, what, what are the sins in my life that I need to repent from? What are the things that are causing damage between my relationship with God or, or my relationship with others? Who are the people I need to go to and I need to ask forgiveness? And who are the people in my life I need to offer forgiveness? What are the places that I need to rebuild and instead of just hating what I've lost, I'm encouraged to rebuild something? What is the sin God is putting on your heart right now that we need to repent from? This is a beautiful way of moving forward in the way of Jesus. And Gosh, repentance, I would love to be able to say, back in 2003, I reached a place where I didn't need to repent anymore. I came to a place in my faith that I just didn't do that anymore. I, gosh, anyone who's ever says, I, I don't really need to repent, like you need to not listen to them <laughs> at all. 
it's just a way of doing life. When I screw up and, and Deidre gives me the look, or for some reason the kitchen cabinets are closing a little harder than they normally do, you know what I mean? I need to repent. When I've got everything else in my life that's more important than the time that I spend with God, I need to repent. When I mess up with you all, I need to repent. I mean, this is this is a way. And it's not just a way, it's a good way. Like I don't know, I don't know about you, I have so many people that if I if I'm if I do anything that hurts them, that's it. Our relationship is over. And that's just painful. I mean, I guess it's not painful if like you don't care, but I mean if you care, it's painful. But we have an avenue to forgive each other because we recognize we are all screw-ups. This is one of the reasons Jesus said, listen, before you get worried about everybody else's sin, take care of your own. Take care of yours. Because there's enough time to get to theirs, but you've got a lot that you need to deal with. So, So deal with the log in your own eye instead of the splinter in somebody else's. Like this is the way. Repentance is part of the way. We're picking up next week and we're going to continue our series and we're going to begin moving. Um, self-denial and repentance are two of the harder weeks of this series. And, um, and I don't mean that the, the others are super easy, but I am looking forward to where we go from here. But uh, I just pray that you would be on the way with us. Would you pray with me? Father.